all across America and around the world. This is Veterans Radio. This is Veterans Radio. Welcome to Veterans Radio. I am Jim Fawson. I'm the officer of the deck today. We've got some great programs for you. I think you'll find very interesting. We always want to remind you, you can find more about Veterans Radio at its Facebook site or by going to veteransradio.net where we're on the web 24-7. You can find a lot of our podcasts there as well. We post new ones every Tuesday, so you can get a new story, a new interview, something you didn't know before by going to veteransradio.net. And before we get started, we want to thank our sponsors. First up, we want to thank National Veteran Business Development Council, nvbdc.org. It was established to certify both service-disabled and veteran-owned businesses. You'll find out how they can help your business by going to nvbdc.org. We also want to thank Eisenhower Center. It's a brain injury recovery center. Learn more about eisenhowercenter.com. They're located in Michigan and in Florida. We want to thank Legal Help for Veterans. Legal Help for Veterans fights for veterans' disability rights all across the nation. You can reach them at 800-693-4800 or on the web at legalhelpforveterans.com. Contact us if you'd like to be a sponsor on Veterans Radio, and let's move on to our program. We want to welcome to Veterans Radio Colonel Thomas J. Gordon, United States Marine Corps, retired. Uh, Tom, welcome to Veterans Radio. Hey, thanks, Jim. This is an honor and pleasure to be here. Well, we're going to talk about a couple of things. We're going to talk about your military career, a a book uh, that you've written on Marine Maxims, Turning Leadership Principles into Practice, and a little bit about what you're currently doing at the Citadel. So we've got a lot of ground to cover. But how did a nice boy like you from Boston, Massachusetts, end up in the Marine Corps? <laughs> end up in the Marine Corps or end up at the Citadel? Well, let's start with oh. the Citadel because that is where you, okay. you started this right, journey. Right. So, um, you know, I, I tried to get into the Naval Academy. I, I wasn't smart enough, um, but I really wanted to be a Marine. And uh, I did not come from a military family, but my stepfather was a Boston cop and he was a former Marine. And uh, I was acquainted with some former Marines in the area, all cops, and uh, they had worked for some Citadel graduates and, and they recommended I check the place out. So I looked at VMI and I looked at the Citadel and um, threw, threw my name in and it, it all worked out. No, no regrets whatsoever. But I, I went to the Citadel for the sole purpose of, of being a Marine. I, I was at least blessed with, at uh, age 17, I knew what I wanted to do. Well, it does make a big difference. And it uh, also kind of shows the power of connections and networking where, you know, friends of your father, stepfather sort of said, hey, check out the Citadel. Otherwise, you would have never probably heard of it. I, I had not. I had not. So and a lot of folks ask me about, um, you know, why didn't you go to Norwich, you know, being from Boston? And I always ask, answer the same way. I'm like, have you all seen Charleston? <laughs> True enough. <laughs> it's, uh, it's my wife and my favorite city in the world, and we've lived all over the world. So um, I served in the Marine Corps for 30 years. Um, as you know, after 30 years, they take you out back and they shoot you. And, um, <laughs> you know, that, that happened in June. And I, and I woke up in Valhalla and it looks an awful lot like Charleston, South Carolina in the Citadel campus. 
Well, we're going to talk about that a little later because you are the commandant of cadets at Citadel now. Just uh, you know, a brand new transition for you, and it's going to be great to learn a little bit about uh, more about Citadel and in Charleston, South Carolina, and sort of what uh, the commandant of com- c- cadets is responsible for. But let me back up. Sure. You spent thirty years in the Marine Corps. Uh, a lot of it in the tank battalion with service uh, in all the major hotspots over the last 30 years. Tell us a little bit about the, those experiences. Well, as you said, I was a tanker in the Marine Corps. Uh, I, I have to say, I, I wanted to always be a Marine, but I never thought I would do 30 years. So my, my grand plan was I was going to do four years in the Marine Corps and uh, transition into federal law enforcement. So when I was at TBS, I went there because I really wanted to be a grunt, and um, my roommate really wanted to be a tanker, and we, we had a great time. We, we hit it off together, and as you know, there are very few tankers in the Marine Corps, very few slots. So we thought that um, the quality spread was going to work out in our favor, and we could both um, continue our friendship and continue to serve together. So we both put in tanks, and ironically enough, I got tanks and he got infantry. Uh, The military (laughs) thinking uh, it's got a better way. (laughs) Absolutely. You know, and and, uh, his name is uh, is Chris Gideons, uh, probably one of our most uh, decorated uh, uh, veterans um, and uh, certainly made huge contributions to the global war on terrorism and uh, was a remarkable infantryman, uh, finished up, you know, as a regimental commander out there in Camp Pendleton and as the assistant division commander for 1st Marine Division. And things worked out for me pretty well, too. I got to command 1st Tank Battalion, and it was the best job I ever had. Um, you know, I, I picked tanks because, you know, I wanted to lead Marines and I wanted to fight my own tank, and I thought it would be a lot of fun, and it was an absolute blast. I, As you've mentioned, I got the be stationed on 29 Palms a few times, uh, married a remarkable woman who uh, actually accompanied me to 29 Palms. That's a, a tough place to, to bring a brand new bride, especially from Charleston, South Carolina, and an even tougher place to you know have middle schoolers when we came back as a battalion commander. But no better place to command, no better place to train, no better place to lead Marines. And I... Um, I also served in second tanks as a company commander and uh, did my 06 command at Camp Lejeune. Um, we got, I was, uh, basically my entire career was either I was in command or I was a three. So uh, my command opportunities were within the tank battalion. Again, great opportunity. And then my time as an operations officer, I was uh, spent a lot of time over in Japan, Okinawa. So I was the current operations officer for 3rd MEF and the G3 for 3rd Marine Expeditionary Brigade and um, ended up in a lot of time in the Middle East. So I was the MARSENT, the Marine component, the Central Commands. I was their uh, G3, the Director of Operations. And as a as a colonel, I commanded in Camp Lejeune, had an incredible opportunity to transition the uh, the, uh, the MEF headquarters group into the MIG, the information group. And after that, um, as a colonel, in post-command time, I got to spend a year up in New York City on the Council on Foreign Relations. That was an amazing opportunity, and uh, no good deed going unpunished. Um, I, I was the MILSEC, or the Chief of Staff, or the 37th Commandant of the Marine Corps, General Neller, so uh, I did my payback for New York City in spades. So. Oh, yeah, they, they, you're, you're going to pay for that, so they pulled you, I, I, I they pulled you into an assignment you never really wanted or asked for, <laughs> but I'm sure it was, I'm sure it was interesting. I, I never interviewed for the job, uh, never asked for the job, but uh, I couldn't imagine anything more professionally rewarding 
than uh, being able to serve in that capacity. Uh, General Neller's an amazing boss. I was his three when he was a three-star, and um, he has a sense of humor, so he picked me to be the Millsack, and uh, we served together for the majority <laughs> of his time, for his tenure as, as the Commandant. But um, that was some demanding times. Um, you know, there's a tremendous amount that's put on those service chiefs. Uh, you couldn't believe how hard they work, and General Neller's the, the hardest-working man I know. He, tough boss, tough boss, but nobody nobody cares more than General Neller. Well, and then you had an assignment that sort of relates to what you're doing a little bit today, maybe, where in July of 2019, you assumed the duties as the director of the Marine Corps Command and Staff College. Uh, again, a, lo- a long way from Boston, Massachusetts, uh, and what you thought you were going to do, isn't it? It was actually, um, you know, God has a plan, right? So uh, after my time with General Neller, you know, he retired and on June 11th of, uh, of 2019, and, and I was done at that point. Um, you know, it, it was, uh, that was an extremely demanding billet, but um, the Marine Corps asked that I um, consider hanging around for, uh, for those final two years as the director of the Command and Staff College. That took me about, I don't know, between five and six seconds to say yes, because I couldn't imagine a, a better last lap in the Marine Corps than to work with and being able to train, coach, and mentor the uh, future battalion and squadron commanders of the Joint Force. So, Candace and I moved from uh, from the D.C. area. We were uh, a couple of blocks from the Pentagon when I was in the Millsec, but we moved down to Quantico, Virginia. They gave me a general officer house, just proving that the, I hadn't found the limit to the Marine Corps sense of humor, but I was pretty damn close. Um, but we got to work with uh, some uh, absolutely amazing uh, civilian and military faculty, and it really set me up for success being able to make this transition to this right, job. Right, and, and and the other you know sort of full loop thing is I'll go back to your original comment when I which I let pass, but now I can't. Um, hey, I wasn't smart enough to get into uh, the the uh, Naval Academy. Well, now now they've put you in charge of the Staff College. So, uh, you know, is, there's, there's a full loop going on here, isn't there? Uh, ab- absolutely. You know, and it, I like to use the analogy of a leadership toolbox, right? So after 30 years, you acquire a le- leadership toolbox. So the, the three-year Lance Corporal walks into your office, and you reach down, and lo and behold, you get the, the right tool to fix the problem, the the 15-year major comes in. You reach in there. You got the tool. You know exactly how to uh, how to fix the problem. The PhD comes walking into your office, and uh, I would have to fumble around quite a bit looking through the box. That's because, where you grab the hammer. Yeah, I, I don't know about that. I, I can just I can attest that there is no tool for uh, for a PhD. They're they're all special. Um, well, I want let me to... let me transition from this because again I've got a lot of questions. Um, it's all that experience in these different roles over 30 years that kind of lead to uh, Marine Maxims turning leadership principles into practice. Talk to us a little bit about, hey, I've, I've collected enough of this stuff. I, I, I want to pass it along to others. I'm going to write a book. Well, that's actually how it, it came together. Uh, just like I never intended to serve 30 years in the Marine Corps, I, I really didn't set out to write a book. But what I did do when I started um, at the Citadel back, you know, 34 years ago now, back in 87, they issued me, you know, one of those ubiquitous green-covered, you know, cloth-covered notebooks, you know, those five-by-eight notebooks that everyone carries around. I call it my analog brain. But I had a special one, and it was my leadership journal. And I started it when I was at the Citadel, and I carried it with me for, you know, about the first 20 years. 
And how it worked was this. Whenever I worked in close proximity to a, a leader I really respected, um, whatever attribute it was that drew me to his or her attention, I, I would just journal it. You know, I said, you know, if I'm ever in command, if I'm ever in charge, I'm going to do that. And, and I logged it in. But, you know, after 20 years, it wasn't all unicorns, rainbows, and parades, right? I, I did work for my fair share of tools. And uh, whenever I work for, uh, I guess this is going to go out, be live, so let me choose my word carefully. <laughs> yeah, please uh, do. A martinet. How about we say that? I'll describe him as a martinet. Whenever I work for a martinet, I would just uh, flip the book over and I would write in the back of the book, you know, if I'm ever in command, I promise I'll never do that. Well, after 20 years, um, the front of the book met the back of the book, and I guess I had a charm Marine Corps career because I had more entries in the front than I did in the back. But if I was to be honest, I would have to say I learned far more from the entries in the back of the book than I did the front. So now I'm a battalion commander, and I had this stream of consciousness. So I took that uh, green book, and I turned it into an outline. And I broke it up into uh, my call sign back then was... uh, was as a tank, was was Mufasa, so it was affectionately known as Mufasa's maxims, and it was just kind of my lessons that I was passing on to my lieutenants. So I had this. Um, we would go twice a year. We'd do an offsite, a PME, a professional military education event, and I'd take my lieutenant someplace, and we just um, we just go through them all. And I just kind of walked through my lessons on what I learned. And the lesson was, it's like, hey. This is my leadership primer, but hopefully the takeaway is this. You need to start your own leadership primer. You can take these lessons if you want. You can incorporate them and roll them in and make them your own, right, or start anew. Um, the, the truth of the matter is they say that less than 1% of the population is capable of an original thought. I consider myself a proud member of the majority, and these were just different lessons I picked up from other people, and I just encouraged my lieutenants to do the same. So when I was up, um, as a colonel, though, it was a little different. I'd already filled up my, my book, but now I was commanding through commanders. And I continued to journal, um, but now, as a colonel, I found myself, instead of writing entries in the book saying, Jesus, if I'm ever in command, I, I hope I'm going to do this, I ended up you know, serving some absolutely remarkable battalion commanders, and I found myself journaling their, you know, their attributes and saying, you know, geez, I wish when I was in command I had done that. And I try to continue to um, collect those up. And as I mentioned, the Marine Corps uh, gave me the incredible opportunity to spend a year up on uh, the Council on Foreign Relations back in 2016. And when I was up there, I had some time, more time than I ever had in the Marine Corps. So I spent some of that, and I went back to that outline, and I finished, and I turned it into a manuscript. Um, of course, uh, Disney may have a problem with Mufasa, <laughs> so I couldn't <laughs> right. call it Mufasa, right, right, right. Uh, Mufasa's maxims anymore. But I did uh, reach out to the Naval Institute Press. Uh, after I um, left the commandant's office, I didn't want to publish from the commandant's office. I just didn't think that would that wouldn't have been right. I'd never want the thing that's beat into your head as a military officer from day one is never self-promote and never use your position for your own gain. But uh, in academia, uh, well, professors are supposed to create knowledge and uh, and then promulgate that. So well, yeah, and I think it. yeah, I think here what you've done here, and I, it's very readable. Um, is pass along lessons that you've learned. And, and we all, as we move on in our stages in life, hope that we're doing that, whether it's by our, by our example or here, taking the time to put them down on paper. And some of this is 
you know, people will, would read and say, well, yeah, I know who John Maxwell is, I, you know, in leadership. Mm-hmm. And, and you make this distinction that you saw over time between sort of leadership and management and are you born with it or do you, do you have to grow into it? I mean, these are all ideas and concepts that I think anybody struggles with if they have any self-reflection. And, and uh, I think you've done a great job of, of presenting these maxims, both in, in sort of segments, uh, leadership philosophy, toxic leadership, building cohesion, you know, a whole series of thematic issues. But in, in, in each subchapter, if you will, uh, I like the concept of saved rounds and recommended reading. Can you tell us where, a little bit about where that came from? Well, as you mentioned, so none of these maxims are either new or novel, right? Um, nor are they ready-made solutions or quick fixes. Uh, when it comes to leadership, I believe there's no, um, there's no shortcuts of fixed formulas. But what I did try to do was take these lessons, which I, I believe are, are maxims, they're, they're truisms, and kind of trace back to their origins. So um, I, I did some research. I do a lot of reading on on leadership. If you were to look at my bookcase behind me right now, it's just full of tons of books. As you say, Maxwell, I read a lot of books on business. I read a lot of books on sports. I read books on religion. Um, and again, I'm just trying to go back in there and I'm trying to find the taproot, right? So every book I read, I flip to the back of the book and the bibliography of the work cited to find my, my next one. And that's what I try to do with the maxims was I said, Hey, I, I learned this particular maxim from, you know, general, uh, Neller or from, um, uh, or from general Dunford or from general Kelly or, or some of the remarkable leaders I got to serve with, uh, over my 30 years, but where did they get it from? And, you know, what influenced them and what books did they read? And so I tried to take at the end of each chapter or end of each maxim, I gave some save rounds, which was just some practical tips on how they could implement it. But then also, if they wanted to learn more about it, you know, I just shared, you know, my bibliography, where I got this information from, um, you know, who has a supporting opinion or who has a contrarian opinion to it. So I just try to lay that out. The, the idea was that this was supposed to be a professional development tool for future leaders. And it was just my lessons passed on, aggregated, um, so that a, a new lieutenant or a new battalion commander and Quite frankly, I tried to um, tailor and scale it to uh, both a brand-new company-grade officer or a potential battalion commander, I think, could benefit from the lessons, because I know... Well, I- and, and I, don't want, I don't want the veteran uh, radio listening audience, and we're talking to Colonel Thomas J. Gordon, U.S. Marine Corps retired, I don't want them to get thinking this is only a military book. This, I read this and saw a lot of value in it for, for veterans starting businesses, for entrepreneurs, for folks who are trying to read about leadership, maybe in a different context uh, that would uh, resonate with them. So I, I thought it was real readable, Tom, and not something that was just a uh, professional military education uh, tome. Well, it, it, thanks, Jim. And I, I did try to go through there. And one thing we have a horrible habit as um, as military professionals, as we talk in acronyms and we have jargon. So I did have some friends of mine, um, uh, shout out to my classmate, Barry Dorsey up there in uh, New York city. He's a screenwriter up there. And I, I gave the manuscript to Barry. I'm like, 
Barry, I need you to translate this thing for me. And he's like, what do you mean? I said, well, just read through it and everything that you don't understand, every bit of jargon, uh, acronym you find, just go ahead and circle it and, and help me because I would, I would like to open this thing up, open the aperture up to a wider audience because I, I agree, Jim. Thank you. I, I think leadership's leadership. And uh, some of these lessons, I think, will resonate whether or not you're on the Amazon floor or if you're, um, if you're leading an infantry platoon. I, I want to mention a couple of chapter titles. Uh, we won't have time to get into them the way I was hoping because I want to talk about the Citadel. Um, but I think this will let our veteran radio listeners go uh, hear this and go, yeah, that's something I'd like to read because that I can relate to. And I, these chapter titles really hit me. Chapter 7 is, treat them like adults and they will act as adults. That really resonates with, I think, a lot of folks, and certainly in the Marine Corps with a whole bunch of brand-new grunts, um, treating them like adults isn't really the first uh, maybe reaction. So, again, I think that's something that occurs in every business, every startup. Uh, Chapter 9 is don't be an ass. (laughs) Oh, that one rings true, too, in in just the world in general, but but, uh, you talk about... uh, you know, command structures that you saw that and that you didn't want to emulate is, hey, I don't want to be that ass. Um, chapter 47, I think, hips a lot of folks, too, in the business world where you go, uh, which is about don't be in a hurry to make a bad decision. And sometimes the speed and the pace of things kind of head you in a direction of, I got to make this decision today, but I, I know it's a bad one, but I'm making it today. Um, and certainly in the military, those that can have uh, very fatal consequences. So there's a lot of good information in here that I think really applies to uh, anybody, uh, Colonel, and uh, you've done a, a great job to making it readable. But it's really not a book that you pick up and read from page one to, to, to the end all at once, is it? No, I, I didn't design it that way. Um, I would recommend you read the first four chapters uh, in sequence, but afterwards it's kind of set up as a as a daily reader. Or you can actually flip through it and, and organize. It's organized um, by either personal or professional development and then where you may be at any particular time in your professional journey. So if you're about to take over a new organization, there's, uh, there's a couple of chapters in there. If you're about to turn over an organization, there's a chapter on successorship in there. Um, if you're struggling, you know, with some disciplinary issues, you know, you can uh, refer to that. But also, if you're talking um, or some legal issues, there's some a chapter on that. But also, how do you do an effective performance evaluation system? How do you do an effective reward program? I tried to take some of the best practices I learned. You hit three maxims. I'll just hit really briefly, just in reverse order as you laid them out. So, um, no decision before it's time was something that I originally picked up from. Um, uh, Colonel Stillwell, he had uh, the 22nd Mew, but the guy who put the fine point on that was um, General Bidler, uh, Lieutenant General Smoke Bidler. I worked for him um, when he had the 2nd Marine Expeditionary Force, and he, he really taught me about no decision before it's time, how much time do I have to make this decision, and whose authority um, does this decision rest with. And it was very helpful to me because what I did see um, during my 30 years was the worst thing you can do as a commander is be in a hurry to make a bad decision and then have to walk that back, right? So making sure you take all the time and all the resources to be able to see the problem in the round to make a, you know, a, a sound decision. Um, you know, don't, don't be an ass. Well, <laughs> You do have to tell people this. <laughs> well, you do, unfortunately, right? Because especially, you know, people do what people see. 
And unfortunately, you know, if you look at how you know, we develop young second lieutenants in the Marine Corps, you know, the leadership that they have has been modeled to them from when they were a candidate all the way through like their TBS experience, you know, uh, back in my day, right, there were a lot of assholes. I'm sorry, you can beep that out if you have to, um, right? But that's what we thought we were supposed to be because that was what was modeled for us was that leadership by fear and intimidation is what we saw. Now, we're blessed right now that the basic school is being led by uh, Colonel Reggie McClam right now, and you know they, the future of the Marine Corps looks really bright. They don't have to worry about that. But quite frankly, you know, a lot of young lieutenants, that's what they see. That's what's modeled. So um, I try to remind them that, you know, no one ever wants to work for an ass. And you don't have to do, you don't have to do that to get ahead. Right. You, you, You can be firm, you can be demanding, but you don't have to be an asshole about it. I'm sorry. You had to beep that one out too. No, no problem. <laughs> and, and then, uh, as I say, the one that you wouldn't think you'd give to uh, somebody with uh, young Marines, but, uh, hey, treat them like adults. Right, right. Um, so it's trust, right, reciprocity. How, how do you build trust in an organization? Well, first you have to extend it. Um, I, I like to tell everybody that, you know, loyalty is a result. It's not a requirement. If you're ever in an organization or you find yourself working for a boss who's demanding loyalty, it's time to you know be be worried, be concerned. But you know, in the Marine Corps, we do have uh, we do have a bad habit in the Marine Corps of managing to that bottom two or three percent, right? A lot of our policies are directed at trying to curb the the behavior of uh, a malign few, right? And it inadvertently paints. The, the entire organization with that same brush. So I remind my folks, I do it here at the Citadel, quite frankly, you know, is if we treat them like adults, they'll act like adults. When I, uh, one of the commands I had was I was the, the first commander of the, the Black Sea Rotational Force. It was a special purpose MAGTAF that went into Eastern Europe. Um, we did 12 countries uh, you know, while we were there, and I think Marines are going to be telling stories about that deployment for the next 40 years, and every time they tell a story, it'll be better. But um, I had an extremely liberal uh, leave policy when we were over there. I I treated the Marines like adults. I told them, I said, this is an opportunity to be ambassadors in green and uh, and represent the service in your country well. And, you know, I I allowed them to go out there and drink. This couldn't be drunk. And, you know, how much, how many liberty we had during that deployment? We had absolutely none. Um, and again, we treated them like adults, and they rose to meet our expectations. Well, as you say, trust is really the key there, and it goes, it flows both ways. You have to trust them; they ultimately have to trust you. Reciprocity, right? Yep. And, and I want to before, before we come to a conclusion, maybe on this first part here, and we're talking to Colonel Thomas J. Gordon, United States Marine Corps retired, who wrote Marine Maxims, Turning Leadership Principles into Practice. I wanted to point out to folks that this is printed by the Naval Institute Press. Um, I don't really know if it's on Amazon. It may not be, but if you go to uh, www.usni.org, you'll be able to find it there, and it's also available in ebook. Uh, fashion, which I think is great. Um, is it? Is it? Uh, is that the primary uh, source for getting your hands on it, uh, Tom? If you are a member of the Naval Institute Press, I strongly recommend you go and buy the book from them. Um, you'll get it at a significant discount. But it is available on uh, on Amazon, uh, Books a Million. Uh, it, it's out there on all the all the major 
prime vendors out there. So, and it's uh, I'm, I'm humbled by the rollout. It's it's exceeded all expectations going out. So, well, hopefully it will be of um, it'll be of interest to uh, the future leaders. I think it will, and I, I appreciate the time you've given given Veteran Radio today, Tom, to to talk about uh, the Marine Maxims. And I want to thank everybody for listening to Veterans Radio today. I am Jim Fawson. It's been a pleasure to be your host. I'm a veterans disability lawyer at Legal Help for Veterans, and you can reach us at 800-693-4800 or legalhelpforveterans.com on the web. You can follow Veterans Radio on Facebook and listen to its podcasts and Internet radio shows by going to veteransradio.net. And until next time, you are dismissed. If you have a VA claim denied by the Board of Veterans' Appeals, contact Legal Help for Veterans at 1-800-693-4800. They're experts in handling cases before the U.S. Court of Appeals for Veterans' Claims. Their number again, 1-800-693-4800. We again want to thank our national sponsors, the National Veterans Business Development Council, NVBDC.org, Eisenhower Center, VA Ann Arbor Health Care System, the Vietnam Veterans of America, Charles S. Kettles Chapter, Ann Arbor, Michigan. VFW Graf O'Hara Post 423 in Ann Arbor. And the American Legion Press Corn Post 46, also in Ann Arbor. They keep us on the air, as does your support. Go to Facebook, go to veteransradio.net, and support our efforts. And until next time, you are dismissed.